Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Now, last week, you may or may not remember, I mentioned during my message that there were a couple of messages or perhaps short series of messages that I needed to get to sooner rather than later. Uh, And uh, I didn't say what they were. I just said uh, what I remember saying anyway. I haven't listened to the message. I haven't listened to the recording. But I said something like, uh, I'm going one or, I said, I don't want to tell you what I'm doing next week because I'm not sure. It's one of two different directions. This is neither of them. Uh, but one of those is on revival. I do want to address that. You know, you seize the moment. It's a, it's a, it's a seasonal message, right, with what's going on in the United States, especially today. And I want to talk about that, make some remarks on it for at least one message. The other one is probably a two-parter on church and church membership. I have committed to the elders to do that uh, soon. And uh, just to kind of clarify some things, uh, make, make it clear to you what, uh, what church membership means here at Living Word Family Church. I think it's important. It's not always the most exciting thing, maybe. Uh, but you haven't heard me preach on church membership. No, I'm kidding. It's going to be, it'll be good. It'll be good for all of us to go through this. Um, so last week, as I was wrapping up a series on prayer that grew out of our three-week fast, our three-week church-wide fast, uh, I wasn't sure which direction I was going, but that I would be going one of those two. And in the middle of reading a passage of Scripture, I just felt blasted with this healing. Healing. That's what you're talking about next week. And I didn't say it then because I wanted to examine the grounds of my belief there. And, uh, but it's almost like a sermon just got downloaded into me at that moment. Um, and I wrestled with it, not because I don't love preaching on healing. I do. But because I had already... I felt like we really had to get to this other stuff. And uh, when I say I, I wrestled with it, again, not fighting it, but I wanted to make sure, uh, when you hear something, when you get an impression like that, you know, and it wasn't an open vision, it wasn't a word spoken over me, it was just a strong, strong, strong impression that I got, but there is nothing wrong with taking a step back and saying, did I hear God? Okay, make sure that there's, you've got time. There was nothing. It's not like, oh, I've got to make this decision right now. So I prayed about it. Did I hear what I thought I heard? Did I hear it right? Did I, was it from God? Uh, and, the other, and, and there's another thing, you know, broadly speaking, and this isn't something I worry about too much. I know it's not something you worry about too much. But one of the struggles is that uh, the charismatic movement, uh, yeah, again, and I'll do this a lot today, painting with a broad brush, uh, and this is certainly somewhat unfair, but it's also somewhat justifiable. Uh, but the charismatic movement has been characterized from time to time um, as self-centered, you know, talking about my victory, my prosperity, my healing, my happiness. Uh, I should live like a king's kid, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't seem to be enough others-centered. But uh, in, the truth is, scripturally speaking, God does appeal to our human desires on purpose. Okay, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy, wanting to be well, and there's nothing wrong with seeing and f- seeking and finding promises to that end in Scripture. Now, if they're not there, let's don't pretend they're there, but they're there. 
right? What does, the, what does the psalmist write in Psalm 16? In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He, the desires that God appeals to, we have to understand God is the one who gave us desires, gave us the, the ability to desire things. Now, those desires may have been corrupted by our sin nature, but there is nothing wrong with desire in and of itself. We check what it is that I'm desiring. We check that against the word of God. Is this something, is this something that I want, something that God wants for me? And if those things agree, there is nothing wrong um, with asking for the fulfillment of those desires. Now, uh, I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm trying to make an excuse for preaching this message. Because I know we offer prayer for the sick every time we gather, almost every time we gather, at least at the end of the service, that's always available. And the prayer of faith is the prayer of faith. And I know there have been individual words of healing. Uh, Sometimes during praise and worship, there have been impromptu healing lines, even recently. And we could do that no matter what my message is. I could preach a message on church membership, and then we could pray for the sick, and that would be fine. Uh... And in fact, I looked, looked through my documents folder to double check, and I preached a, either a three or four part series on healing just about exactly a year ago. So it hasn't been super long since we did this from the pulpit, and yet still had this strong impression, this strong word to talk about healing today, to make the whole service about that. And there are two things that I want to address in preparation, because what this service is really about is praying for the sick, laying hands on the sick, having a healing service, all right? I'm going to share this message as quickly as I can just to kind of uh, explain, give us some background, give us some context for today. Um, in the midst of everything that's going on, And when I say everything that's going on, I'm talking about this revival that is sweeping across now several college campuses. And it is uh, connecting nicely with the success of this Jesus movement or Jesus revolution movie and just getting a lot of people's attention on Jesus Christ. And I'm loving it. You are too. I keep hearing more and more about it, how God is using these things. Uh, And what's happening, uh, as happened in, during the Jesus revolution, the Jesus movement, the late 60s, early 70s, the, the first, as, or the last Asbury revival in, in 1970, or 71 maybe, um, is that this is absolutely crossing denominational lines. This isn't happening just in one type of church. It's happening again in, in, um, in uh, multi-faith services, not multi-faith, but multi uh, Uh, non-denominational services on college campuses a lot, so it's not connected to a particular church. And in this sense, it is reminiscent of the charismatic renewal of the 70s, which also broke through denominational boundaries. And all I, what does that have to do with me preaching about healing today is while we can celebrate this, that God is moving and moving people to a posture of of repentance, renewed passion and praise and worship, I don't want us as word of faith people to lose our uh, distinctness, the things that make that let's let's don't abandon the distinctives that make us who we are. 
And when I talk about the distinctives, I'm talking about doctrinal distinctives. You know, when Living Word first started, uh, there was a lot of stuff that was different compared to the mainline churches many of us came out of. Most of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, much, uh, for instance, you know, much more expressive and modern praise and worship, uh, unconventional gathering places, not just us, but you know, there, we were meeting in a gymnasium of an old school building. A lot of, there were a lot of storefront churches. Um, there was uh, typically a much more relaxed attitude about attire, services, of course, that weren't constrained by any kind of formal liturgy, and so on. But all of those differences are stylistic. They have nothing to do with our doctrine. What made Living Word Fellowship at the time and so many churches around that time, certainly since then, is the belief that the Pentecostal experience as described in Acts chapter 2 and following is still for today. That is, the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation or should be. And when Jesus said that if we, that, that if we believed in him, we would do the works that he did and greater works. Let me read this. John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And we believe that if he said that, he meant it. Now, I'll interrupt myself here to share something with you that I probably shared before, but this, was, this is an apologist. Uh, I don't think I'll name him even though I don't like him and kind of want to name him to warn you away from him. And if you have a question, I'll just, I just don't want it out there on the recording. I don't like to make a habit of bashing somebody. Uh, but he, uh, he just loves taking on the whole charismatic movement. Here's why charismatics are wrong. Here's why the gifts aren't for today. Here's why you can't believe God for healing, blah, 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 blah. And uh, he took, uh, th and this is going back years ago. I was getting a, an email two or three times a week from some apologetics institute uh, uh, and, uh, you know, they were doing these little student seminars all over the country, and then he hooks up with this guy, and all of a sudden, every time I get an email, here's brother so-and-so again telling you why uh, it's stupid to believe in the charismatic gifts. I'm like, what does this have to do with apologetics, man? Stick with the, with the bigger picture. It's just it's starting to make me mad. But he, he, they dedicated one whole sermon or discussion to this verse, and all they talked about were the greater works. This is why people are missing this. We're supposed to be doing greater works than that. Well, how can we do greater works than Jesus? And they talked about evangelism. They talk about mass media. They talk about getting people saved. Uh, and I'm like, fine, I'm not going to argue with you about what the greater works are, but you are ignoring half of what Jesus said. He didn't say, he who believes in me will do greater works than I. He said, the works that I do, he will do also. And what did he do? He did miracles. He did miracles of healing everywhere he went. He cast out demons. We can be doing those things. We should be doing those things. We should expect those things in our midst. Anyway, if we look closely, uh, we, back in those days, now again, what, one of the things that was exciting about the early days of Living Word was there really weren't churches like this. This is why it was so important to have uh, meet, meetings of, of organizations like Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship and other parachurch ministries and events where they would bring speakers in even to large gathering places so that we could hear a word that was being preached and taught that wasn't being preached and taught in our mainline churches. But we didn't have the option to going to a church like this because there, wasn't, there weren't churches like this. But they did have 
even back then, uh, assemblies of God, and then uh, uh, not quite as, as early on, uh, vineyard churches, who both, as, as church associations slash denominations, both of them embrace the gifts of the Spirit and miracles. Okay, so what is the difference? And I remember having this, this conversation years ago. I was still pastoring in Farmer City, and uh, I was talking to Jeff Canfield on the phone, and we were talking about how, well, they, we've got, there are vineyard churches, there are assemblies of God, they're open to miracles, they're open to uh, the gifts of the Spirit. What is the difference? And practically at the same time, I said, really, it comes down to the definition of faith, the nature of faith. And at the same time, he was saying, it's the authority of the believer. Both those things, they are, they're completely connected. And that's exactly it. And it's a big difference. It's a big difference. I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in a minute. Um, now, and we also have to recognize, and this, is, this isn't just something that... Uh, Assemblies of God, and, and you got to understand, it wasn't, neither one of these things were like denomination-wide. If I say an Assemblies of God church did this or a vineyard church did that, it wasn't like a decision made at headquarters. But there were many churches in both of those uh, movements that really heavily adopted the seeker-sensitive model, which kind of flowed out of Willow Creek up in Chicago, and that was the whole, whole idea. Most of you remember what it is. I'm not going to go deeply into it, but it was this idea that, look, our, we do believe in the gifts, and we want to see God do what God's going to do. We want to see healings and all this stuff, but the main thing is to get people here to hear the gospel. And if some people are going to come in, and they hear us speaking in tongues, and if that's going to turn them off, well, we just won't speak in tongues for their sake. We don't want to do anything that's going to scare anybody else, scare anybody off, freak anybody out. So uh, it was more or less an official policy of some churches. We are not saying that this can't happen. We're saying it can't happen on Sunday morning during the formal church service. Maybe we will have a special service that is set aside specifically for that, but we won't advertise that to the public. This will just be for those of us who already believe. Well, that's really putting some handcuffs on God, right? I mean, the gifts of the Spirit are for the edification of us, and they are for the edification, the building up of the whole church. And to say, it's really a way of saying, God, we know better. Now, flip side of that is, uh, while we cannot be ashamed or embarrassed, or we shouldn't be nervous about the gifts of the Spirit being manifested in our midst, that doesn't mean anything goes. Uh, I still struggle with some of the other manifestations that were taking place in, in Holy Ghost meetings. And I believe some of them were re genuine responses to something God was doing, and I think a lot of it was flesh. You know, when somebody just gets an overwhelming sense of the joy of the Lord and starts laughing, I'm not going to argue with that. But if somebody's teaching and somebody in the congregation is uh, cock-a-doodle-dooing uh, cock and stuff like that, uh, literally cackling like a chicken... Uh, that's either a demon or it's flesh. It's not the Holy Spirit. Well, who are you to say? I'm just saying. All right? I'll, I'll stand before God on that statement, and you just kind of, you can quietly agree, or you can leave. No. You, <laughs> you can E-X-I-T, as, as Pastor Hagen would say. 
Uh, so let's don't, let's don't bend over backwards to scare people away, is all I'm saying, right? Let's don't freak them out on purpose just to show them how spiritual we are. But let's not rein anything in that the Holy Spirit is trying to do, especially when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit that are right there in the Bible, right? Let's, for the love of people, let's don't withhold healing. Let's don't not pray for the sick just because we don't want to freak somebody who doesn't believe in healing out, right? Let's get them healed and see how quick they start believing in healing. Now, uh, I'm not doing a message on the whole scope of the believer's authority, but we did touch on it last week when we looked at Mark 11, 23, and 24. You know, you say unto this mountain, and when you pray, uh, that's when you believe, and you shall have what you're praying for. You'll have what you're saying. We also looked last week at the built-in controls on that, so if you missed it, it really is worth checking out. Now, since we are talking about healing today, I want you to notice this in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Skip down to verse 7. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now some have said, and indeed say, look, clearly tells us, this was the twelve. These were the apostles, and that sort of authority was only given to the apostles because it was necessary uh, later on for the establishment of the church. But we know that he also sent out the 70 with similar commands. We know there were 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and they all went out, right? And uh, more importantly, I say, look at this. In, uh, this is in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I want you to go out, make disciples of all nations, and teach them to do everything I commanded you. Simple question. Did he command them? to heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. They're supposed, they were supposed to, and they did, go out and teach us to do everything Jesus commanded them to. This was never, ever meant for just the 12 or just the 70 or even just the 120. It is for all who believe. And I want you to see also, because, all right, so we go heal the sick. What does that mean? Do we pray for the sick? Do we lay hands on the sick? Do we anoint them with oil? Do we just speak to the disease? I don't want you to get hung up. I'm not going to get hung up on that sort of thing. Uh, those are, uh, I, I think it's interesting that all of those things are mentioned in Scripture. And I think you can maybe make a case for when you're going out preaching to the unbeliever, you, you, uh, you, say, you simply heal the sick. You speak to that command them to be healed. When, you, when it's believers gathered together, well, pray, well, call for the elders of the church, anoint them with oil. I just don't like getting formulaic about it. I think there are different ways God delivers that healing. The main thing is this. When we are dealing with healing, and we are, we are messengers and deliverers of healing, we need to 
recognize that Jesus didn't say, well, just go out and pray and hope for the best. Whether you're praying, applying oil, or speaking, you do it with the expectation that is based on God's command and God's revealed will. You need to be approaching as ministers of healing with the confidence of someone who has authority over sickness and disease. Ideally, our prayers and healing ministry are joined to the faith of the one who is sick. One famous example, a favorite of mine, is in Acts 14. This is what happened after they were ministering in Iconium, we read in Acts 14.4. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews. As Paul and Barnabas were there, all right? Uh, and uh, part with the apostles. Verse 5, And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Verse 8, And in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt and walked. Now the authority part is on us as ministers of healing. And for that matter, when we speak the word over our own bodies, that's an authority issue. We have authority over sickness and disease and anything that doesn't belong in our lives and in our bodies to speak to those things. More on that in a minute. The faith part is on the, is on the one in the need of a healing. In this passage, it says, as Paul is preaching the gospel... This man heard Paul speak, and it says right up there, they were preaching the gospel in this place. He heard something as Paul was preaching the gospel, and he had faith to be healed. He heard something in Paul's gospel, gospel message, that made him realize he could be healed. Why? Because the healing power of God and his will for our healing is part of the gospel. We talk about the full gospel. That's how we used to, people still, you know, what kind of church is living word? And I've told you, that's sometimes a hard question to answer. The safe answer is it's non-denominational. It's a non-denominational assembly of Christians. Uh, oh, your assembly of God? No, okay, it's a non-denominational Christian church. Oh, your church of Christ? No, it's just non-denominational. We're all Christians and it's non-denominational. Okay, uh, but what kind of church? Well, it's charismatic. That's still pretty, and that's pretty safe, kind of vague. And if you go word of faith, well, maybe that's a little bit risky too because there's some people who might know something about the word of faith and assume that, oh, I saw a minister who was word of faith. I didn't like you. He was kind of crazy. Well, we don't, we're not saying we believe everything that every word of faith minister, so-called word of faith minister does or practices. Uh, but how we used to answer that is, well, we're a full gospel church. Okay? Now, uh, Certain people began to point out over the years that that's a little bit of an insulting way to describe your church because uh, sort of hidden in that is, well, we're not a partial gospel church like you go to. Uh, we believe in the full gospel. Of course, they believe they believe the full gospel. But all we mean by that is there's something in the gospel that Paul preached that caused this man to literally rise up in faith and receive his healing. 
if we are not preaching a gospel that includes healing and a number of other things that are word of faith uh, you know, associated, uh, then we are not preaching the full gospel. If we are receiving forgiveness of sin and a lively hope of heaven and nothing more, praise the Lord, we're going to heaven, but we are not receiving the full gospel. The fullness of the gospel is much, much more abundant than just the future promise. The full gospel is not the gospel plus gifts, the gospel plus healing, the gospel plus abundant provision. The gospel includes all of those things. Those things are part of the gospel. God is the author of every good and perfect gift. My favorite scripture, haven't read it to you in a while, so let's read it together in Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Read along with me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, that's good. I mean, that is really, really good. That is, that is a nice, concise uh, Old Testament revelation of what the gospel is like. I've heard it said by many a minister uh, that we need to get healing happening more regularly, these manifestations of healing in the church, because that is the dinner bell. That will bring, bring people running to the church, and they'll hear the gospel. I get that. I understand that when we start seeing manifestations, we're not going to be able to help but see people come in to see more of that for themselves. But healing is not the dinner bell. Healing is part of the meal. When we talk about the loaf of bread, that God's word is the very bread of life, and this is what we live on, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father, that part of that bread, part of that gospel loaf is healing. It's not just something to get us to the table. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and this lame man heard Paul preaching the gospel, became convinced in that moment that God's will for him was healing. And Paul perceiving that by the Spirit, immediately seized the moment and spoke a healing word. Now you read on, the crowd was so moved by this miracle, you know what they wanted to do? They started calling uh, Paul and Barnabas gods. And they wanted to make sacrifices to them. This is what they were preparing to do. And Paul's like, why are you doing this? See if this sounds familiar. Here's what he said to them. We are men with the same nature as you. Didn't we just read something like that in James about, about Elijah? He was a man with a nature like ours. And that's noteworthy. He didn't say, listen, listen, listen. It's not me. It's the fact that I am an apostle and God has empowered me to do it. But it's really Jesus. No. He says, I'm a man with a nature like you. It wasn't his apostolic calling that empowered him to see that man healed. He was simply responding to faith and knowing what God's will was. So, remember, all of this proceeding, all of that proceeding was to stir ourselves up by way of reminder that in the midst of a broader movement of God, not to lose sight of the things that make us different. And also be encouraged. Again, when the Jesus movement, the, uh, you know, the charismatic renewal happened, they were, when they were sweeping the nation, 
uh, they also dovetailed with that, uh, with each other, with the charismatic movement and everything else. And it was a rediscovery for many individuals. It was a rediscovery for many churches uh, of the gifts of the Spirit, miracles, and the word of faith itself. So as we pray for revival here, which we are doing, I know we are, and as we are rejoicing that revival is breaking out on college campuses and other churches, let's thank God for that, but let's also pray and believe that he will open their eyes to the fullness of the gospel including the gifts, including healing and all of this. Amen? Now, if you remember, again, I was explaining why I believe we are supposed to do this today and possibly next week. The second big reason is not utterly distinct from the first part, but it is a little more personal and it's worth talking about. I remember hearing a story, I've heard it several times, about a guy who had taken up a cause. I believe it was in the civil rights movement. And he was doing great work. He had set up offices in different cities. And he became a great advocate and a very effective agent for change and addressed some very real issues and concerns in the communities he served. And one day, as the story goes, a young man came to visit his office and wanted to share one-on-one with him some of his concerns and see if he could get his help. And the secretary came in and told him, here's this young man out here to Uh, wants to visit with you, and he says, please tell this young man that since I have taken on his cause, I I no longer have time for the individual. Now again, as the story goes, the secretary supposedly said, that's amazing, even God isn't that busy. Which is cute, but it's wrong. It's backwards. You see, um, this man's position while outwardly cold, if he said that, it's legitimate because man is finite. We can only do so much. We're limited by time, space, talent, right? Um, And physical strength. We have to sleep. We have to rest. There's only so much you can do. And, we, and every time, the busier you get, and maybe the more important you get in any particular role, every day, part of your, part of your job is triage. What can I fit into this day? What's the most important? Because something's going to have to go. Guess what? God is not limited by time, space, talent, intelligence, or the need for rest or lack of strength. He is infinite. God is never too busy for the individual. I told you this story in a different context, but really quickly, right after 9-11, uh, an unsaved uh, co-worker of mine told me, and he, he knew I was a, a, a preacher, and he thought I'd be impressed by this. This was at Sam's. And he said, uh, my, uh, I think he said his grandpa or his uncle, was, they expected him to die, but uh, he, had a, some, he had a dream or where an angel told him, you're not going to die now because we're going to be too busy to take you to heaven anytime soon because they were going to be so busy with all the 9-11 victims. Well... And, you know, I think the context I shared that in is how many thousands of people die every single day. You know, it's not like, and I'm not being, 9-11 was absolutely a tragedy, but heaven wasn't overwhelmed with business that day. Uh Uh-oh, cancel everything else. Don't let anybody else die. We've got to deal with this tragedy over here. Nothing overwhelms God. Nothing surprises God. So, just remember that, that even, even in the midst of a great move of God, And again, thousands are coming to him or coming back to him with a renewed passion, repentance, 
and this is sweeping. And in the middle of all that, God is still very much intimately concerned with your day-to-day life, your individual needs. There is no need too great for his power, thank God. And thank God there is no need too insignificant for his attention. He cares about it all. What a privilege it is. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Don't ever fall into the trap. Well, I don't want to bother God with this. He's got enough to do. He is absolutely for the salvation and healing of nations. He also still desires to see you personally walk in the healing that he has purchased for you. I'm going to pray for the sick here in a minute. I'm going to lay my hands on you. I'm going to anoint you with oil. There is nothing magic about the oil. There is nothing mystic, mystical about my hands. I'm doing this in obedience to the word of God. I am walking in the authority of his commands, and I'm walking in faith that when we agree, you by coming and me by praying and speaking, healing will be made manifest. Sound good to you? Listen, we've, some of you are fighting hard stuff. Some of you have been fighting extended battles. Some of you have some serious things going on in your life. I'm hearing more and more, it's this nasty bug that just keeps coming back on people, keeping them out of church, keeping them awake, robbing them of sleep, robbing them of strength. It doesn't seem life-threatening, but it is irritating, and it is not our portion. Okay, so let's don't have it. Now, again, as far as I know, we'll do this next week, too. Uh, I don't want to overcommit. <laughs> never know what God's going to say to me while I'm speaking the next sentence. But there is there's much that remains to be said, and I want to say at least some of it next week. Um, I want to flesh out a little bit more about how and why Jesus healed. But most of you have heard it anyway. So if there is sickness in your body, prepare yourself to come in faith and come expecting healing. Praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here. Everybody else, go ahead and stand with me. After we have prayed for the sick, I will have a few things to say and then we'll dismiss. Uh, But first, let me say this. There is nobody in this room or in this world that God cannot heal. And God in his sovereignty, and sometimes God in his response to my prayer, will heal somebody who is not in faith. It's a miracle of healing. It overcomes a lack of faith. It becomes more of a sign at that point. He'll do that for Christians who don't believe in healing. He'll do it for non-Christians as a response. This is part of the intercession that we talked about when we were talking about praying. You know, the, the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah were not believing for their own deliverance, and neither were the children of Israel. But somebody who had God's ear was standing in the gap. And we can do that even with sickness. But since almost everybody in here is a believer, let me say this. If you are a believer, no matter at what stage your faith is or what you personally believe, what the Bible teaches us is that healing belongs to you. It breaks my heart when somebody refuses salvation because I know how important their salvation was to God. How do I know? I saw the price he paid for it. I see the price he paid for it. You are so important as an individual. The filthiest sinner you know is important enough to God as an individual that God was not willing to spare his son the agony of the cross to see them brought to salvation. 
But Jesus bore a horrible beating, a flesh-destroying beating in his body that created, they are kindly and mildly referred to as stripes. But they were gruesome wounds that he took in his body, not for our salvation, but for our healing. By his stripes, you have been, you have been, you have been healed. The same, it's like, you might get saved today, but that's, today's not when Jesus saves you. What Jesus did to save you, he did 2,000 years ago on the cross, a little more than 2,000 years ago. You might get healed manifestly today, but it's not because Jesus heals you today. He purchased your healing when he purchased your salvation. If you are a believer, healing, and a lot of other stuff today too, but we're praying for a lot of other stuff, but today we're praying for the sick, belongs to you. This is your attitude, needs to be your attitude, that you are simply coming up to receive something God has already done. You're to receive the manifestation. Well, can I do that for my chair? Let me read something real quick. Sorry, we got a couple minutes still. Don't, oh, yeah, we got all kinds of time. I just got this. Uh, this was on Christopher Alam's uh, page today. Uh, you guys remember Christopher? He was here last year. He's, he's been doing these massive meetings over in uh, Africa and uh, parts of Asia. And uh, he, sh- he just shares some great stuff. He's, he's just been doing this for so long, and he sees some great signs and miracles. And uh, here he is. He uh, says, when I pray for the sick, I do it primarily through four different methods. And believe me, God works through all four methods. Number one, the wholesale method. This is when I pray one mass prayer over the entire congregation. I do it in Africa and Asia, and I do it in churches stateside where the crowds are large. I have seen the greatest miracles through this method through decades of Pentecostal ministry. Two, the individual method. This is good when there are small groups of people who need prayer. I take time to talk to each person and lay hands on them individually. Three, (laughs) the assembly line method. For large crowds indoors, everybody lines up and walks past me, with me touching each one as they pass me, rarely used. Four, the remote method. I pray over prayer cloths that are then sent to sick people in other places. Very effective. I have seen God use this uh, to work many powerful uh, miracles. Then there is a fifth method, and that is through the word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit shows me things about people. I call it out, and the Lord heals them as they respond. I've seen many miracles this way. However, I cannot control this or pull out the gifts of the Holy Spirit at will as I want to. It is always according to his will. He is in control and I just follow. And yes, there is a sixth way. And that is when people are healed while I am preaching. The word of God is always full of power. When we preach under the anointing of God, often people take hold of the word that they hear and respond with faith. That, that is when God, by the power of his word, heals them. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Pretty cool, huh? So again, we don't get hung up on exactly how healing is ministered. I'm telling you uh, today, the way we're doing it is I've got a little jar of oil here. Nothing magical about it. Why do we use it? Because he says, if any among you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church. I stand before you today, I guess, as chief elder. They'll anoint him with oil. The oil is simply, we are agreeing. It's a point of contact for our faith. You can't come in faith. 
I pray in faith, and that oil in my hand, point of contact, is just a physical representation of our agreement with the Word of God. Come up here believing it belongs to you, but it only belongs to you. Again, God can, and in many cases does, heal anybody. But it belongs to you if you are a believer. So my first invitation is this. Is there anybody here who wants to make a confession of Jesus Christ as their Lord? It's like, you know, I've heard it enough. I've heard it many times. I'm ready to make that decision. I don't want to waste any more time. I want to be a child of God. I want to walk out of here today saying, I am a Christian. I am a Christian man. I am a Christian woman. I want to receive. I know Jesus died for me. I want to confess him as my Lord. I want to claim that sacrifice for me. Word of God tells us clearly, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But you have to confess. And I just, I don't need you to come up here right now. I just want to see a show of hands saying, that's me today. Scott, would you pray for me? Would you lead me in that prayer? I desire to be saved. Anybody? We're not just talking about sickness, you know. We're ultimately talking about heaven and hell. But before we get to heaven and hell, we're talking about the purpose, what you were made for in this world, the life you were supposed to lead. You were, it came up in that word uh, that the Lord brought through Doug, that you were uh, created in Christ Jesus, your new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He's got a plan for you, but it starts with you getting saved. Anybody need to be saved before we pray for the sick? Anybody? Okay. In that case, let me, let me just pray this really quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the price you paid to get us in your family and qualify us for every good thing. Thank you for the good things too, Lord. Thank you for healing. And we come before you expecting today. As we open up this altar area, I pray, first of all, that, that if there is anybody who needs to make that confession of faith for the first time, needs to bow their knee before Jesus Christ as Lord, that you would move on them as only you can and bring them here for me to pray with. For everybody who comes responding to this altar call, Lord, I pray that you show yourself strong. We know you're here, Lord. Holy Spirit, we know you are in our midst. We are asking as children of God, with authority over sickness, that you manifest your healing power in our midst today. That you cause faith to rise up in the heart of every believer who needs a physical healing touch. That I would stand and speak and minister in the authority that Jesus Christ himself gave to us. As we obey you with prayers, with oil, with the laying on of hands, and with confessing your word that sickness and disease will leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. If you're coming up here for salvation, let me know what, that that's what you're up here for. Otherwise, I will assume you're up here for a physical need. I don't need to know what it is. If you feel the need to tell me what it is, that's fine. Uh, but I'm not going to... Uh, I'm just going to anoint you with oil and, and speak healing over you. That's my plan. So come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, 
check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.